Hello, and welcome back to the Called Out Cafe podcast. My name is Doug Hooley. This is the second episode of the fourth series in the third season of the Called Out Cafe. This new series we're starting is based on my latest book titled, Leaving the Church to Follow Jesus. Yes, it is as controversial as it sounds. But no, it's not leaving Jesus or even questioning faith in him or who the Bible tells us he is. It's questioning the veracity of the organization which claims to represent Jesus, the church. There are big things at stake here, way more than what you're going to do with your Sunday morning. We're talking about an accurate picture of the gospel. We're talking about putting the good news back into the gospel and gaining freedom from the bondage of human manufactured religion. We're talking about a paradigm shift from a counterfeit way of looking at things to authenticity. Now, I don't claim for a second to hold exclusive rights to the truth. I do claim to have studied this topic really closely for years and have some things to say about it. Today, I want to talk about a major turning point in my life that led to formally looking at this issue. This account of what happened which is recorded in the book, did in fact come down to one Sunday morning. However, some of the things I'm going to relay are based on more of a conglomeration over time or other specific experiences I had in my church life. The point being, what happened wasn't because I had some bad fish the night before. What took place took years to develop in me. If I had to point to a specific starting point on, uh, of my own questioning, I'd say it was sometime around 1993 when what I believe about the return of Jesus drastically changed. I now believe that there'll be signs that precede the return of Jesus and that his followers who were alive at that time will experience not God's wrath, but trials and tribulations at the hand of the Antichrist until Jesus returns and rescues them. Well, prior to that... I believed in the still popular pre-tribulation rapture theory, the theory that says that the church will be raptured prior to anything bad occurring in regard to the return of Jesus. I was a major supporter of that theory, and I would have died on that hill. But careful study led me to what I believed to be much closer to the truth. You can read about that journey in my book, the first book I wrote called Watch. It's a commentary on Jesus' Olivet Discourse, in which he talks about his own return. Anyway, after that experience, I mean, that kind of shook me up. I had really firmly believed in the pre-tribulation rapture and all that went with it. And after my extensive study, I no longer did believe that. And I was so sure of myself prior to that. Well, I then began wondering if I'd been wrong about the pre-tribulation theory, a theory that had been taught by the evangelical church my entire life as being true, what else was I and the church wrong about? For the next 25 years, one inaccurate doctrinal knot after another was unraveled as I continued to study the Bible. So that was probably the beginning of my major questioning that eventually led me to where I'm at now. You know, almost 30 years ago, this journey started. Now, 
everyone's going to have their own experience who became disillusioned with the church or started doubting the institutional church. But some become disillusioned with the church because of abuse that they've suffered within it, or abuse at the hands of someone who claims to be a Christian, who seems to be really devoted to the church, or it might not be abuse, but some other gross hypocrisy that they've witnessed on the part of Christians that have caused the disillusionment. Maybe they were hurt by something someone in the church said or did. They may have felt ignored while they saw other people being favored. You know, guys with more money were getting more attention from the pastor. Maybe they felt like they couldn't live up to the expectations of the church, or they were becoming worn out or burnt out. There's probably as many reasons for people leaving the church as there are people who have left. Anyway... This is my story, and I remember this experience like it was yesterday. Let me take you there. Okay, so the stacked speakers send the sound of guitars and drums and a couple of amplified voices and an electronic keyboard by your head whoosh, to the back wall. And the sound waves bounce off the back wall and hit you for a second time from behind. There's this reverb in there. You're surrounded by a gymnasium full of other socially compliant followers who we're all facing the stage waiting for our next instructions. You look past many rows of the backsides of people's heads. A few in the crowd are holding up their hands in the air and they're rocking back and forth rhythmically to the music. Some, apparently to a beat that no one, not you or I, else can hear. Others, they're just holding their coffee and cookies in their hands, looking forward. The atmosphere is a complex hybrid of informal, festive formality (laughs) and long-held non-traditional routines that are based on tradition and routine. Well, I was there along with you that day. I searched the crowd for anyone that I knew. I recognized the guy who was telling us what to sing. You know, he stood up there many times before, and he always told us what to sing. (laughs) I had a coffee with the guy once. In all the years, I'd been letting him tell me when to stand and sit and what to sing. That was the only time that that coffee date that we had spoken in person. Seemed like a nice guy. You know, now that I'm thinking about it, when I asked him, And I might talk about this later, but when I asked him if he's doing this song leading, because he was a full-time employee of the church, when he was doing the song leading, uh, was he doing it because it was a job or because he was just compelled by Jesus to lead songs and he couldn't help himself? And, you know, he admitted that, well, some days it's just a job. Other days it's because he felt like he was serving Jesus. But anyway, he seemed like a nice guy. But, you know, first time I met him, (laughs) why was I letting him tell me when to sit down and stand up and because <laughs> I'm socially compliant. Anyway, I digress. I also, that Sunday morning, I caught a glimpse of a couple who attended the same small group as my wife, Angela, and I. It warmed my heart to see them. I loved these guys, and I loved the other people in my small group. But it was too bad they were all the way across the auditorium and that they ducked out as soon as the final prayer was said for the day. Or I might have been able to briefly say, Hi, 
Well, having attended this church for three years, I recognized quite a few of the backsides of people's heads. Yet, I didn't have a clue as to who they were, what they did for a living, what made them tick, or what they really believed, even though I may have exchanged niceties and shared a Oreo cookie with them sometimes and coffee over the years. One or two of my co-participants that morning were animated as they repeatedly pushed up the sky in a yoga-like stretch. I remember, you know, just between you and I, <laughs> Angela and I used to refer to one of them just because, I mean, this isn't supposed to be derogatory. It was just a, uh, so we knew who you were talking about. Um, we called him the sky pusher <laughs> because he was uh, very predictable in how he would worship Jesus. And of course, you know, we, we you try to... <laughs> You try just to mind your own business and these type of things. But as I look around the room, you know, you would see other people that were trying to mind their own business as the sky pusher would push up the sky. More power to him. I'm sure that he was, uh, you know, he and the Lord were gratified by that. But anyway, I I continue to digress. So (laughs) maybe half of the 600 or so people present on this particular Sunday morning were singing along with the worship team at least in the places where they were familiar with the tune, or they could see to read the words up up on the screen up front. Many others stood around awkwardly and soberly, like they were waiting among strangers in a crowded bus station, just hoping to finally sit down. Then a few others, as if oblivious to the sounds around them of people worshiping the creator of the universe, stood off to the side and engaged in happy, full-voiced conversation and laughter while they enjoyed their Oreo cookies and coffee. And believe me, I have nothing against Oreo cookies and coffee. A few of the faces in the crowd showed the kind of delight that comes from meeting a best friend after they haven't seen them in years. I mean, they legitimate happiness for what they were doing and how they were worshiping. But others showed apathy, Like the face of, you know, when you look in the mirror first thing in the morning, when there's no one else around. My face, if it was linked to my thoughts, was showing that I felt like a total hypocrite amid an existential crisis that had taken possession of me. You see, there was a battle taking place in my mind. Allied on one side of the battlefield were the combined forces of several what I'll call thought armies. The forces were largely made up of guilt, peer pressure, deeply held cultural traditions, and flawed logic. In alliance with them was an army powered by the desire to set a good example for others. But it was a desire also fueled by guilt, peer pressure, deeply held cultural traditions, and flawed logic. There is one last member of the Church Defense Coalition of my mind on that side of the battlefield. It was the desire to truly seek and please God. This desire thought it had chosen the correct side in this conflict. The desire to seek and please God was still present, but stronger than ever, and it soon changed sides on the battlefield of my mind. Those intellectual and emotional forces 
were well entrenched in my mind and been with me most of my life. Well, in opposition to all those forces, present that Sunday morning, was the truth revealed in Scripture. Providing tactical support for the truth was the historical perspective on the traditions and cultural practices within the church that I had become aware of and could no longer ignore. I also had a new commitment to please God, and not man, where the two did not fit together in the same place. Most importantly, the conviction of the Holy Spirit was not allowing me to be content with the status quo, where the quo was not based on authentic truth and grounded in Scripture. By this specific Sunday, I'd wrestled with my thoughts for months. I had finally settled on one thing for sure. I didn't want to be there any longer. What was new that day was that I had begun to feel like a total fraud, that my mere presence could be understood as though I supported what was taking place around me, and I didn't. My mind was telling me that I didn't. I was experiencing a classic case of what smart people who know about such things call cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance occurs when someone has inconsistent thoughts. They may come to believe something is true, but because they've held a contrary belief for so long and have so much invested in doing so, they'll continue to act as though what they believe to be false is still true. This causes mental discomfort. <laughs> it was not that I no longer believed that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God, or that He was no longer the Lord of my salvation. It was not that I no longer thought that He was worthy of my sincere praise and worship. It was that I had come to believe that what I was participating in was a manufactured religious paradigm that completely missed the biblical mark. In fact, it was a human construct that was wrought with unbiblical and anti-biblical practices. I'll explain those terms more later. I can even say the words abomination and blasphemy could be used to describe what sometimes occurred there, disguised under the whitewashed and shiny veneer of Christian culture and tradition. You know, nothing overtly evil, just the truth, twisted, just enough to be covertly wicked. In case you're wondering, I was not a part of a cult. I was attending an evangelical church with close ties to the Baptist denomination. This church was no more off-base than any other of the mainstream and evangelical Christian churches I've attended and fully embraced in the past, that I've been a part of, that I've been on the worship team, that I've, I've taught in. This church was about off-base as all the rest. Among Orthodox institutional churches, there are, of course, all sorts of variations, styles of worships, how the offering is collected, the kinds of music, the pastor's approach to delivering the message, mission statements, length of the service, how communion is administered, when one should be baptized, all of those things. All of the variations aside, I had always been led to believe that in the end, it's the same Jesus that the estimated 30 to 40,000 different Protestant denominations meant to learn about, discuss, and worship each week. In this one Jesus, I thought, the church has unity. 
But after comparing what's taught in many mainline and evangelical churches today with Scripture, I was no longer convinced we're all worshiping the same authentic Jesus of the Bible. And the church I found myself in for the previous three years was no exception to this. I had to wonder, was it me? Why was it Angela and I could never find a church that seemed to fit the real biblical model? One that Jesus seemed to clearly be the head of. Was this thing I was wrestling with because my own thoughts were completely flawed? Were my study methods faulty? Was I unsaved? Were my expectations off base? After all, I know that in every church that I'd ever attended, there were good and sincere Christians that surrounded me. Many, I assume, have been Christians almost their entire lives. I know without a doubt that there are many in all those churches who love God just as much as I do. Many there desire to please God just as much as I do. Many who serve others in love with the heart of Christ far better than I do. And I'm positive that there were many who were far less sinful than me. They were alongside me because, for whatever reason, they, like me, honestly thought that church was the place to learn about, worship, and serve Jesus. It was the place to be in fellowship with other believers. You know, the last words Fox News Channel personality Pete Hegseth says every Sunday morning on the show he co-hosts are, go to church. Our Christian culture tells us that to attend a church service is to honor God. It's to be American. (laughs) To help with the church service in any capacity is to be a good Christian and serve God. For the most part, I know that people were not gathered that Sunday morning that we're talking about here because they had nothing else better to do. Most likely, they were seeking God and doing so in a way that they believe is pleasing to Him. Many Christians have been programmed their entire lives to believe that a part of being a Christian and serving God is attending church. One thing is for sure, this thing I was experiencing was not for lack of sincere beliefs and commitment on the part of many with whom I was in attendance with that day. My face, (laughs) my face felt like it was going to melt, and my head felt like it was going to explode as I thought about how it could possibly be that a church representing the name of Jesus and so well thought of in the community could be off track to the point where I was wondering how I could have any part of it any longer. It was a church where at least part of the gospel was being presented, and people by all conventional human measurements were getting saved. Some lives of those who attended this church, at least on the surface, appeared to be changed for the better. The right words were being said. The pastor claimed this church was 100% biblically based or they wouldn't be doing it. God appeared to be blessing this church as it had all the conventional signs of being successful. You know, like there were more than 600 people in regular attendance. A very large paid staff took care of all the business. There was somewhere around 6% of the people in attendance every Sunday. Remember, this is a church of 600 that were on the payroll. You know, 6% in attendance were. The pastor 
was a well-spoken and respected, both in church and in the community, guy. Prestigious members of the community attended the church. It had a local, large missions outreach and was involved in several international mission endeavors each year. By all appearances and the pastor's statements, there was way more money coming in than going out. So, who was I to question what appeared to be such a successful business model? The boxes of successful Christianity were all being checked. It was a church that was growing. What could possibly be wrong with all that? Well, what crashed down around me that Sunday morning was the realization that I needed to override my 50-plus year loyal and devoted relationship with the church. Having carefully and exhaustively studied the New Testament scriptures pertaining to the gathering and relationships between believers and continued study of church history, I was left with very little basis for supporting what was taking place on Sunday mornings and the rest of the week, for that matter, in the name of church. I had just begun to understand the real basis for the existence of the church and what its biblical purpose and function is supposed to be. It did not all match up with what I had experienced in the preceding decades of my church attendance. It should have been no surprise to me that the Holy Spirit has allowed or caused people to leave man's idea of church in droves over the last decade, as one study put it. And that study is the, if I can read in my notes here, it's really small, uh, is by the Pew Research Center in 2007 and 2017. They call that people are leaving in droves, and that study has just been updated very recently, uh, and it, people continue to leave the church in droves. Church membership in the United States is at an all-time low and dropping continuously. If the trend continues, what this new study says is by the year 2050, there will only be uh, somewhere around 35% of the citizens in the United States will claim to be Christians. Compare that to around uh, 1950 when 90% or better said that they were Christians in this nation. Well, there's going to be a fraction of the people attending church. And that's true in both Protestant and Catholic religions. Ecumenical unity among Christians has always been important and stressed. Yet this unity in the real world has played out in such events as the Thirty Years' War and the Great Schisms, the Inquisition, among many other very unchristlike occurrences in history. People in what's commonly known as the Church routinely divide rather than stay united. Previously buying into this false unity idea, I never recognized all the different iterations of personal messiahs that people had altered and constructed to suit themselves. But I now had come to recognize the artificial unity for what it is. The church had come to represent a pantheon of false Jesuses. After years of participating in this paradigm, the sum of my observations was telling me that I could no longer be confident that the authentic Jesus of the Bible was the center of attention at this church or any others for that matter. The wrong Jesus being worshipped? A Jesus that was not consistent with Scripture? 
but this was the Baptist version of Jesus. So with these thoughts going through my head, how could I stay and support what I was witnessing? How could I remain in unity with what I had come to understand as practices that were based only on human tradition and the pastor's personal preferences and not the authentic truth? Should I remain and try to be a voice of reason? Should I try to talk to the pastor and tell him there's not much about what he's doing that I can follow or support any longer? Do I just leave the people that I love in the church behind and not tell them about my concerns? Then what about the example I'm trying to set for my grandkids, my beautiful grandkids? I want to make sure they see that God is a priority in my life. And almost all of those who call themselves Christians believe they need to attend church as if that's what makes God a priority. After all, it's the first question after one Christian discovers a fellow Christian, right? Hey, so where do you go to church? The side effects of leaving a church meant risking falling out of fellowship and losing touch with others that I cared about. That, in fact, happened. It meant hurting feelings. It could even make people angry as their deeply held beliefs were challenged. People may brand me a nonconformist or a divisive troublemaker who doesn't understand Scripture. My salvation may be challenged as those in the church leadership defend what the church believes and how it operates. I may be threatened with hellfire. It wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> 400 years ago, many followers of Jesus were threatened with physical fire for putting forth such ideas. My Anabaptist ancestors would testify to that fact. But Jesus said these types of things could be expected when one follows him through the narrow gate. Why should I think things were any different now? Through the centuries, true followers of God have been called to re-examine what's going on in the name of Jesus and compare it to what the Bible says, which is our only truly reliable source of divine communication. With so many leaving the church today, could it be that God is again calling out those who he elected to follow Jesus from a system of organized religion that's no more holy or set apart for God than any other world system. Illustrations of drastic changes to the way we corporately seek God are plentiful. Jesus overturning the tables of the moneylenders and labeling the religious leaders of his day as a brood of vipers is our quintessential biblical example of Jesus pushing back against the religious status quo. The Reformation of the 16th century and the Anabaptist movement come to mind as other historical examples of such movements. Well, there's certainly room for re-examining the religious practices taking place in the 21st century, where the world system and its governments, its media outlets, education systems, and its ruler, Satan, has more influence than ever over God's people. Isn't this the same world in which the most learned and trusted Christian leaders declared holy wars, conducted the Inquisition, outlawed the personal possession of the Bible and its translation into common languages? The same church that drowned those who wanted to be baptized as adults, and a little more than a century and a half ago were using the Bible to support the practice of slavery? And wasn't it in the last century that Hitler's propaganda minister broadcast the teaching of Martin Luther to justify the elimination of the Jewish race from Europe? 
When Christians today say that they're disappointed in the church, the reply must be, why should it be any different now? Those who truly know church history know it has not only been disappointing, but very disturbing. I will defend Jesus and his ecclesia to my death, but I will not sugarcoat history or attempt to blow sunshine up anyone's beep backside to defend the forgery which distracts and misrepresents the real thing. There have been countless apologetical books written defending the institutional church. If Jesus were not the son of the all-knowing God, what we call church and the church 2,000 years after he ascended would appear as completely foreign ideas to him. I will never drag Jesus or his people, the ecclesia, through the mud. What I'm going to talk about in upcoming episodes will document how a parallel, fraudulent organization which claims to represent Jesus has indeed drugged the name of Jesus repeatedly through the mud. That organization is the church. It's not the ecclesia. And it's responsible for most of the reasons the world points to when they say that they could never be a part of such an institution. My desire is to seek unity with others who have been called out from the world to follow and serve their master wherever they may be found on Sunday mornings, not just in buildings with crosses on the front of them. Martin Luther, speak of the devil, had this to say about the kind of unity that I refer to. Quote, when it comes to faith and salvation in the midst of lies and errors that parade as truth and deceive many, love has no voice or vote. Let us not be influenced by the popular cry for love and unity. Unquote. Well, it appears to me that the message of the gospel, the whole gospel, and not just the part about getting saved, has been lost amidst theology and tradition. After all, Jesus could convey everything about the simple message of the good news to anyone in under 10 minutes. I cannot see how what we have known as the church for the past 1900 years has anything to do with anyone's organic response to the good news message of Jesus. It also appeared to me that what was important to the primal church, you know, the first church of the first century, has been lost. The followers of Jesus in the days of Paul, Peter, and John were obsessed with or consumed by the thought of Jesus' return. They were saturated in a worldview that understood the reality of the spirit realm and its direct effect on the physical realm that we live in. And they interpreted the gospel through the lenses of the Old Testament and Hebrew traditions. Well, for the most part, at least since the Enlightenment period of the 18th and 19th centuries, these things have been, to use today's language, canceled in the church and replaced with apathy towards the return of Christ, disbelief in the spirit realm, and an anything-goes approach to interpreting Scripture. I came to learn that church is not synonymous with Jesus. The two are not like peas and carrots. Many have replaced their faith and love for Jesus with their faith and love for the church. When Christians today say that America 
is falling apart because people, I just heard this this morning on the news, when they say that America is falling apart because people have stopped going to church, something is wrong. They're either saying that church attendance is the litmus test for sincerity in following Jesus, or they're attributing church to being a pro-social activity that inspires patriotism and community spirit. Whether it's one or the other, or both, something is wrong. My suspicions is if it really is something to it, it's the second one, pro-social activity that inspires patriotism. I came to realize that what Jesus demands of me regarding his ecclesia I must seek unity and fellowship with authentic children of God who are seekers of truth and lovers of Jesus. I define truth seekers and lovers of Jesus as those who have Holy Spirit generated faith in Jesus. How did that sound for a Christian pronunciation? Faith in Jesus, that he's the Messiah and the Son of God. They are the called out ecclesia. The two called out is what ecclesia means. They, who like me, may not have it all correct yet, but are enthusiastically seeking to know, understand, and comply with the authentic truth of God as found in the Bible. The called out ecclesia are those who passionately live in the hope of what Jesus said will happen, and they're committed to love one another within the ecclesia, just as Jesus commanded. Did you get that faith, hope, and love? That should sound familiar, and we're going to talk about that a lot. The church has replaced faith, hope, and love. The lifeblood of the ecclesia's existence with countless other pursuits and complex superficial religious trappings and activities. It's transitioned from a body for equipping and strengthening the called out of God into an outward-facing organization that's steeped in tradition and nostalgia while catering to the social justice needs of the kingdom of this world. Saving the world, service to the community, and social justice causes have long been recognized as primary reasons that the church exists. Man, believe me. Those are not the reasons. They may be a byproduct. I'm not saying that. And those are good things. I'm not saying those are not good things. But we're talking about the church and its reason for existing here. Well, I knew my job as a follower of Jesus was to seek him and his kingdom first. Not just once, like a one-off, like a one-time first, but first every day for the rest of my life. My search for his truth must always outweigh the pull of tradition. It's got to outweigh cultural pressures and loyalty to others. I got to pour myself into finding out what Jesus expects of his ecclesia. This is what I have to do. If the church was far off from this, as what I sensed it was, I needed to find out how that came to be. So, I started a focused an intense study of the New Testament and church history with that specific purpose in mind. And you know what? In the end, I decided that I had to leave the church to follow Jesus. Well, that's what I have for you in this episode. Next time, I want to talk about if the church has really failed or not. Until then, 
I want to remind you that the book this series is based on, Leaving the Church to Follow Jesus, is available on Amazon.com in Kindle, paperback, and hardcover versions. Please consider ordering a copy, and if you do get it and read it, please remember to go back and leave a review. If you can't afford a copy, then please feel free to go to my website, DougHooley.com, navigate to the products page, and click on the PDF file link for the book. It's the whole book that's there. It's just, uh, and it'll download into your Kindle or e-reader, and it'll function basically the same, just without all the bells and whistles. Then, while at my website, please check out all the other resources we have there. I would love to hear from you. Please send me your own experiences and or questions. And then let me know if you don't want me to mention them. (laughs) Because I'll likely answer your questions on the podcast, because you're probably not the only one with the questions. So, until next time, may God bless you, and Maranatha. Thanks for joining me today. Until my next podcast, you can follow me on Facebook by going to the Doug Hooley Ministries page. I'm on Twitter at at Doug H. Ministries. And I'm on Instagram at Doug Hooley Ministries. Find out about what I'm working on and read some of my blogs at DougHooley.com. Or email me at Doug at DougHooley.com. That's Doug at D-O-U-G-H-O-O-L-E-Y dot com. I'd love to hear from you. This has been the Called Out Cafe. So long and God bless. Mm-hmm.